Welcome to episode 34 of The Process, Fail to Success. to episode 34 of the process i am quavon taylor and i am amante martin uh today we have senator bobby powell on the podcast welcome to the podcast senator powell hey amante and quavon i am excited to be on the podcast with you all this evening um ready to share my story ready to talk about the process and uh just excited to be on here with you all this is a wonderful opportunity uh, could you tell the listeners where you're from I am originally from Riviera Beach, Florida. I'm a native of Palm Beach County. I currently live in West Palm Beach. Um, and of course, graduate of Palm Beach Gardens High School down here in Palm Beach County. And eventually I went up to Tallahassee and made some things happen at both FAMU and FSU. You're a Tallahassee in both schools. Um, what was it going, like growing up in Riviera Beach? That's a that's a good question. One of the things I can tell you what it was like growing up in Riviera Beach, it's um as many areas in Florida that people have deemed um, they would call it the hood. Um, my neighborhood was no different. Uh, I grew up in a, what they would call an economically distressed area, but um, I had loving parents who made sure that. Whatever we lacked in terms of money, we always were taken care of in terms of, of love and affection. And, um, you know, when the people around you are in similar situations, you never look at it as lack. I'll, to be honest with you, um, I think everything I wanted, I got. I, I didn't. I wasn't a materialistic child who wanted things that were out of reach. And many times I was happy to get um just get some of those things that were the least of it you know the, the minor things made the biggest difference I, I learned early in life that it's more about your presence as opposed to your present um, meaning that if you show up for a person you're there to see them whether they're singing in the choir or running a track meet it's more important than you giving them some type of gift because you couldn't be there so growing up for me uh, there was a lot of love 
but also, you know, we, we did realize the struggles that many people from communities like mine dealt with. Um, I, I applaud my parents for owning a house when I was a kid and we had stability. We, we and my, me and my nephews uh, and my sisters when they were younger, weren't always moving around from house to house. We didn't have to worry about that because we were in a steady location. Uh, but, you know, we, we had the same challenges that many other people had. However, I do believe that I had a good set of parents who would put their kids before themselves to make sure that it was never about them, but about this next generation. Growing up in Riviera Beach, did you uh, play any sports? I did. The first time I played sports was about in 1989. I played basketball for the Wells Recreation Team, which was called the Cavaliers. And I was a young kid and I played one season because my best friend and his dad, his dad was the coach. My best friend was one of the players. And I only played one season because that season, and this is how hindsight be, hindsight becomes 2020. Uh, my mom would come to every one of my basketball games and my dad would promise to come to every one of my basketball games and he wouldn't come and I averaged about one point per game but I felt like if my dad came it would have gave me a little bit of oomph and a little bit of inspiration to play a little bit harder um, and in hindsight being 2020 a lot of kids dads may have come to the game but their dads were not in the house with them my dad didn't come to the games but he was in the house with me so I'm appreciative of that. And then uh, when I went to high school, from the time I was a kid until high school was the next time I played organized sports. My sophomore my sophomore year of high school, I ended up running track. Uh, I wanted to play football because my cousin who lived next door to me uh, played football and we'd always talked about it. So he finally convinced me to come out and play. But the caveat was one of the coaches pushed me to go run track. And when I went to run track, I found out that I, I kind of liked track. So I ended up playing, running track for two years, for three years and playing football for two years while in high school. My first year as an athlete, both on the track team and the football team were not uh, what you would say are super successful, but I had one goal and that was to not be in last place. <laughs> and on the football team, my other goal was to never be the kid who, at the end of the game, was on the bus, especially when we had uh, all white uniforms, to be the cleanest person on the bus. So I was able to accomplish both of those goals my, my early career in football and track. And then by the time I finished off, I was a starting football defensive end, and I was a all-conference track and field athlete uh, for my high school team. Ended up playing, well, ended up pole vaulting at FAMU, walking on to be a runner. And by the time it was all said and done, I ended up not running, but instead uh, earning a scholarship to pole vault. Shouts out to Coach Darius Jones for coaching me and Coach Ray Raynard Robinson. Uh, and that, that, that's the gist of my athletic career. I was excited to play sports as a youth because it taught me how to work as a team player and even to this day what sports teaches you is you don't necessarily have to like the person who's on your team and God knows that you know uh, there were many people on my team that I didn't see eye to eye with and I didn't feel had the same spirit that I had 
but by the grace of God, we were able to work together to be a good team and to be successful in our endeavor. You mentioned uh, one of the best HBCUs that sits on the highest of seven hills. Uh, what was it like, you know, transitioning from Riviera Beach to that 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 school? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm glad you asked me that question. First of all, that excitement that I've heard people talk about when you receive that acceptance letter, I, unlike some people, when I graduated, I had a 2.9 GPA and that was 2.98. So I was close to a 3.0. But at the time, when I was accepted into FAM, I had already received denial letters from Florida State. See, I applied to every state school. So I received denial letters from almost every state school. Uh, And FAMU was the first university university to accept me. I mean, I was receiving so many denial letters. I think colleges that I didn't even send applications to were sending me denials just so they know so I know that they didn't want me there either (laughs) so uh, being able to go to FAMU I had never I had a cousin uh, by the name of Michelle my my dad's sister or first cousin who lives in Crestview my dad's sister's daughter who's a few years older than me she was already attending FAMU that was the only thing I knew about FAMU I'd never been to Tallahassee except for the drive through in order to go to Crestview or to, to Funiac Springs from Palm Beach County. And I, to be there, man, it was just, the, the feeling is phenomenal. To walk onto a campus and to see a lot of people who look like you and to see that they were about the business of being about business. And it was, you know, I'm, I'm thankful my mom was a praying woman. And what I can say about that is that I'm living the blessings that she had for me. She prayed for me before I got here. And, probably my grandma before I was ever born. So I pray seven generations into the future because I don't know if my daughter or if we have another child is going to pray for her kids and her grandkids the way they need to be prayed for. So I'm praying in the future for the kids that I'll never meet, those seeds that I won't see, that generation that's way out there so that they're covered by the blood way before they're even arriving on this earth. They'll wonder how they got out of the trouble that they could have been in is because somebody prayed for them because they had them on their mind way back then. Uh, so I say that to say, it's by the grace of God that I was accepted into FAMU. I had so many valuable lessons once I got there. I met so many valuable students, teachers, professors, mentors, coaches, athletes. Uh, the experience was an abundant experience. There were some impactful people who I met at FAMU. Uh, Professor Wilson, who was a journalism professor, taught me that you're either on time or you're not there. If you if he called the roll and you weren't there, then no matter if you if you got there right after he said your name, if you were there not there to answer, you were absent. So he was about the business of being about business. We had Dr. David Jackson, who taught me uh, Black history, that it's okay to be unapologetically black, to understand your heritage, to be proud to be black. That John Henry Clark says that people use history to tell their political and cultural time of day. It tells the people who they are and what they are, who they have been and what they have been. But most importantly, history tells the people who they still must be and where they still must go. Sam, you was where I had Dr. Adeline Evans, who was my speech uh, professor. And she was the professor who taught me that 
you know what? We sell, we buy those books for hundreds of dollars and then we sell them back for $20. He, she, she reminded me that the knowledge is worth keeping. So if you buy a book, uh, then what's the use of giving it back for little to no money when you can use that book as a reference for the rest of your life? And then there was Dr. Back then she was Professor Ann Wee Kimbrough, who is today still a mentor and a light in my life. She taught me that to make no person a stranger, never be afraid to jump out there because if you ever try to fly, what you'll realize is that you can and that life teaches you lessons and you have to keep moving forward. And she also taught me that nothing is wrong with failing because failure is the opportunity to realize how successful you will be. So if I had not gone to FAMU, I wouldn't have met those people who have sowed into my life from then to now that allow me to be fearless when it comes to running for office, when it comes to grabbing opportunities, when it comes to reaching back and teaching others. So Senator Powell, you know, we come from almost close, close, close areas. You know, you're from Rivera, Riviera Beach and I'm from Miami, you know, and I'm, I'm a political science major right now. One of my long-term goals is to run for office. Hopefully one day mayor of Miami. Uh, what are some things that I can look forward to? I can tell you, uh, that's a good question, Quaymon. A lot of people are always interested in running for office. And I will tell you that you have to have a heart of service, right? Because many times you will end up putting people before yourself. The needs of your people will come before you. Additionally, when you think about it, remember that everybody who gets into the political game does not have a heart of service. There are some self-serving people. And when you realize that and you know that, you you will realize that God places in each and every one of us a spirit, right? A spirit of discernment. And when you're around certain people, if you realize that their spirit does not gel with yours, there's no need to try to force it because God gave you that spirit of discernment for a reason. There are good people who have good spirits and you can feel that. There are people who have evil spirits and you can feel that as well. You have to be able to take that discernment that he has given you and realize when you're around certain people and if it doesn't jail, don't try to force it. Don't try to be friends or try to be cordial. You can be cordial, but try to have a friendly relationship with the person who uh, your spirit does not jail with. Because in politics, many times people are looking out for themselves as opposed to the people. And that is what gets many, gets many people in trouble. Uh, I can tell you that some of the things that are necessary, um, not only looking out for people, but knowing your substance, knowing substantive information. You have to have the ability to raise a lot of money rather quickly. But one thing I can tell you is money is not the be all end all. I've seen people win elections who've raised less money than their opponent, but I've never seen a person win it. Well, on the local level, I'm not talking about the president because I don't know how this happened. But usually a person who has less votes does not win the election. So you have to make sure people understand who you are. And for us, um, I represent, currently I represent a district that's um, not a minority district, but I used to represent a minority district and minority districts people want to make sure that you show up in their church, um, that you are visible. You have to be visible. That's that's just necessary. You have to understand what you're doing. It's required for us to be three times as smart, uh, work three times as hard, 
And also, there's a certain segment of my district, a certain population in my district that is uh, Haitian American. And when it comes to that, a couple of my best friends are ones who I can go to who can go into that community and speak the language. And sometimes if somebody can't escape ou parler Creole, which means they can't speak Creole, then they don't have an end to that community, nor do people want to hear them because we relate many times based on language. That's why there's this whole new idea. It's not new, but uh, the language is new where people are saying people code switch, which means, you know, you see me, you see me in the hood, you see me where I'm from. I may speak differently than I am if I'm presenting a project before people and as an urban planner, it's just different. You relate to that language differently. You can feel person by the way they can feel a person by the way they communicate. Let's give you a couple steps, though, um, for Yvonne, in terms of getting involved in politics. For me, what I did was I started attending community meetings. Um, once I started attending meetings, people started to know who I was and recognize me. As a young man, I would stand out because I would throw on a suit. My first degree is in public relations. And one of the keys to public relations is PR. You have to make sure people know who you are you have to stand out. So I would throw on a suit. I was 27 years old. I would go to meetings. Many times I didn't understand what they were talking about. So I would keep my mouth closed because it's better to um, be silent and be thought of as a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. <laughs> but there were times when I did understand something and I would speak on that. So the next thing I did was started going to city council meetings and networking and talking to people who were in positions of power. Uh, hey man, let me take you to lunch. You know, I would take a city council person to lunch. Sometimes they would pay for it because you know they can't be accepting gifts, and sometimes uh, we would go Dutch, but they would be willing to share information on how they got there. And the next thing was, of course, serving on volunteer boards. There are so many boards in our communities that go empty because people choose not to serve. But when it comes time to run run for office. So many people jump up and say, hey, I want to be a commissioner. And it's not about the title. It's about the service. Trust me. People ask me all the time, what's it like to be a state senator, man? It must be really, really awesome to be a state senator. And I come from Riviera Beach. It was just amazing for me to get to college. And then second of all, for me to make the track team uh, as a college athlete, I was like, I'm, I was beside myself when I was 20 years old. So to be 38 and to be a state senator, I feel no different than I did when I was a young man who was on the track team at FAMU. So, Senator Powell, you mentioned that you went to FAMU. Um, what was your major at FAMU, and did you ever see yourself uh, as the senator? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. When I started at FAMU, my major, and I was writing about this this morning while I was working on my book, when I originally started at FAMU, my major was general studies, right? So, you know, there's a stigmatism attached to the idea of being a general studies student. At least I felt that way when I would stand up in class because FAMU has this thing where you say uh, your name, your major, where you're from, and then, you know, you go on and on. But I think it's the FAMU intro. And I would have to say my name's Bobby Powell. I'm a freshman, uh, freshman from Riviera Beach studying general studies. And Nobody really looked at you weird, but you could kind of feel it like, oh my gosh, 
you're seeing general studies and the person next to you is like, yeah, I'm a freshman uh, chemical engineering major. And you're like, man, it is. So my, my number one goal at the beginning was to get out of general studies. So after my, start, my third semester, I entered journalism. My sequence was public relations. And that just one, first of all, it just sounds better when you say public relations. Nobody knows what it is, right? What is your major public relations? What do they do? Well, they relate to the public. Writing well, presenting well. Um, no spin doctors, but uh, more more so putting a good public image out there. So my major at, at FAMU was public relations and I was excited to join that school to be a part of that because uh, coming out of the School of General Studies, I felt like I'd accomplished something. I felt like if I could make it out of general studies, maybe I could end up graduating one day. So at FAM, I studied journalism, I studied public relations, I had a lot of extracurricular activities. I ended up earning a journalism scholarship at, at one point. I was a uh, managing partner for the group called Prodigy, which was, which was the student-run public relations firm. I was a member of the FAM Ewan as assistant news editor for the FAM Ewan newspaper on campus. I was a mentor to a lot of my colleagues and, and students while we're at FAMU. And uh, as a member of the track team, I had no desire to end up being in politics. The most I had done in politics while I was at FAMU was to vote for SGA president, which was Andrew Gillum at the time. I think my second year, my first year was Courtney Minor, Cornelius Minor. Um, but I had no indication or implication that I would be a state senator. But the things that I learned at FAMU taught me that there was nothing that's outside of my reach. I learned at FAMU that as a young person, you can do anything that you put your mind to. With so many people who I met at FAMU who've gone on to be successful. We talked about comedian Roy Wood Jr., um, Will Packer, Andrew Gillum, so many people that came through that process. So when you think about it, it's only natural that you become one of those persons. Um, I'm thinking of the, the, the singer, she is Chrisette Michelle. I think that's her name, Chrisette Michelle. Or Kay Michelle. Kay my Michelle. wife, Kay Michelle. <laughs> she, you know, these are people who went to FAMU. So, you know, when we, we, we talk about an HBCU, we produce greatness. I learned so many things that put us in the realm that allow us to become successful. I, I learned about Black excellence. I learned that you don't have to go to an FSU, which I did end up going to FSU, to be successful or to be the elite because I had seen so many other people around me. And what I also learned was that you don't have to be jealous of anybody. There's a life of abundance. So when you see your friends make it and become successful, you don't have to hate on them and say that should have been me because what God has for you will be for you. And I also learned those things that we talked about when I say um, at an HBCU, it, it reminds me of the president of Morehouse College or Morehouse who says that um, there's the five wells. And of those, he talks about being well-read, meaning that you read a lot. And I, I, I read on average uh, 10 books a year. You need to be well-spoken, well-traveled, well-dressed, and well-balanced. And when you've got the five wells, there's no way that you cannot be successful. 
And those are things that I learned from being a student at FAMU, a part of the HBCU community that now everyone is discovering. And even to this day, um, I'm still a part of the Rattler Nation and will always be. What was the process like for you transitioning from HBCU to now going to a, a FAU? Because for me, you know, I, I attended University of South Florida in the beginning. And, you, you know, from there on, I went to uh, Tuskegee. And, you know, right now I'm about to graduate uh, University of Houston. And being at Tuskegee, I had a better a more closer relationship with my professors. How was that relationship with you? Well, Quimon, I'm glad you asked that question because when you think about it, the things that I said earlier with regard to the professors who had a major impact on my life, we had some really, really close relationships. I transitioned from FAMU to FSU after obtaining my bachelor's of science in public relations. Well, in the, with the sequence of public relations degree in journalism, and I studied uh, urban planning at Florida State. For me, you go from being a majority, being at an HBCU, where there are people who are like you, to going to a completely different university where, where it was right across the, the, right across the city. I won't say across the street, but not too far down the road. And it was completely different. I found out the things that would fly at FAMU did not necessarily fly at FSU. I remember one time making a joke uh, that had I been at FAMU, I think people would have at least snickered or giggled. And the class at FSU was completely stone cold. But then again, I was studying for a master's degree, so that may have had something to do with it. Also, I remember words that were not common to me that people um, were used to. For example, I've been my whole life, I've been 20, I was 20, 23 years old when I got to FSU and I'd never heard the word cul-de-sac throughout my years at FAMU because from, when, in Riviera Beach, you know, that's, we call that a dead end or a circle down there at the circle where you go where the circle is. So it's just that, that it was a culture shift for me. But for me, Wayvon, uh, I was able to take classes at FSU and go back over to FAMU and study at FAMU Library. My question is, you know, uh, transitioning from, from your master's program into the, you know, the quote unquote real world. Um, what was one thing you wish you had known when you began your career? I wish that somebody had told me that life is all about politics, no matter what you do especially in planning, whatever you do, uh, you're gonna play a political game when you go into the workforce. That's it. It is a political game. People work with people who they like. Um, people make things happen for people who they like. And figuring out the politics of every situation has been helpful. We talk about a lot of theory when we're in class, but theory is based on people's reactions and people's perceptions. And there's always someone who's who's controlling or who's keeping some of the gates, who's got a gate open or a gate closed and figuring out who that person is, who those persons are and making sure that you're in the proper realm uh, are things that, you know, I, I, didn't, I didn't go to business school. So I didn't learn that. I had to figure that out on my own once I got into um, 
the real world. But I also found that nothing substitutes for hard work, right? So if you, oh, I realized the harder I work, the more lucky I get. People say, man, you were lucky. Yeah, but I work really, really hard. There's times that I'm in Tallahassee, I'm in the Capitol at one and two o'clock in the morning, actually reading and studying and preparing for the next day. So when people see me stand up to present, I'm wearing a suit and um, I've got this well laid out speech. They see that part, which is about two to five minutes. They don't see the part where I spend hours and hours and hours preparing for those two to five minutes. And that sometimes is where the envy comes along. That's sometimes where the jealousy comes along. Uh, another lesson that I wish I'd learned was, and I've learned it as well, is that in, in life and in politics and business, you have to be about the business of being about business. There's no permanent friends. There's no permanent enemy. And remembering that if you can figure out how to work well with people to get the job done, that's what counts the most. Leave your feelings at the door. Uh, sometimes people get upset. I don't like the way my boss talked to me. That's okay. Because you're not here to worry about how he or she talked to you. You're here to finish a job and get it done right, correctly, and well. And when you become the boss, then you can take that into consideration. But for now, what I can tell anybody is as a worker on the bottom of the rung, especially for the millennials, when you start at the bottom, work your way up to the top. Work your way. Don't be afraid of hard work. Too many times I've met people uh, who start today and tomorrow they already asking like, hey man, I got elected to be state rep at 30. And, but I did some time as a as a planner for the city of West Palm Beach. I did time as a legislative aide for Mac Bernard, and then I was elected. But there's people who meet me and they're like, hey man, I'm 26, you got elected at 30. What I need to do to get elected is possible, but in the dictionary, it's the only place where success comes will work. Senator Powell, you were elected at age 30 years old. How have you evolved since then, now being an almost 38-year-old now, Well, the evolution has been a wonderful evolution because when I started, I was a young state representative, one of the youngest of my class, and I had never been elected, so there was a lot of information coming to me. We don't make a whole lot of money as state reps in the state of Florida. However, the knowledge and the information that comes before you is priceless. So the opportunity to do that job and to learn what I've learned over time, I spent four years as a state rep. I was re-elected in 2014, and then in 2016, I had an opportunity to run for the Senate. What I've learned from being a senator is that I work even harder as a senator than I did as a state rep. There are 20, there are 40 state senators complete in the state of Florida. There's 120 state representatives. So when I became a senator, I had to do the work. I have to do the work of almost three senators because I have to pass just as many bills. I have to work with the, with the representatives to get their stuff uh, into the Senate, as well as working on budget appropriations. And those uh, requirements for our $98 billion, well, our, our 89 to $91.3 billion budget that we passed for the state of Florida this year so it's a matter of growth. Every year I've grown. And I can tell anyone, if you're going to run for office, first 
be a state rep. And if, if not, you should probably, before even being a state rep, it's probably good to just have local experience because as a state rep, it's politics all day. And then when you become a state senator, it's a whole nother level. It's very intense. You have to be prepared for it. And those people who aren't prepared generally don't last. So the evolution over time has seen my growth. I have learned a lot of things. Amongst other things, I mean, I've gained a few gray hairs and lost some hair on the top of my head, but the evolution has been priceless. I would tell anybody that it was worth the price of admission to be a part of the state house and then to be a part of the state senate. I will always be a member of those legislative bodies. For as long as I live, I will always be recognized as a senator and a state representative. I have the ability now and forever to be able to walk on the House floor and to walk on the Senate floor because I was elected into those bodies. So when I'm not elected, I can still go and sit on the floor during a legislative session because of the, the, the being elected to the institution or to that great fraternity that is the Florida legislature. So Senator Pratt, I do notice that, you know, since President Trump has been president, you know, there have been a lot of racial tension and a lot of things have been going on. What is it like to be a senator in this political climate? Well, what I can tell you is that, man, being elected, one, is an honor, right? Uh, however, today, in this era, there's been a heightened sense of racial tension because of what's happening at the top. Um, there are, as you've seen it, we've got these new names for people who are just calling the cops on black people for no reason. You got Barbecue Becky, you got Parking Lot Patty, all these different names, all these different things are happening because it starts at the top. And the president doesn't want to admit it, but you got white supremacy groups that are going around um, with, with doctrines on people who they want to hurt. It's a problem because even in the Florida legislature, the Senate recently released a, um, a resolution that we're going to pass a resolution against white supremacy. The Senate, the Florida Senate, which is a Republican dominated body, will be working on a resolution to outlaw white supremacy. How crazy is that? Um, that is the era that we're living in now. And, and previously, there was a time where people would ask me, hey, uh, you're elected, you're a state rep? And I would say, yes. And they go, are you a Democrat or Republican? And I would say, well, I'm a Democrat. And if they were Republican, they would say, oh, okay, that's nice. Well, I'm a Republican and it's very nice to meet you. Maybe you can explain what you do to me. Or, and and uh, maybe if you tell me your views, you may be one Democrat I could support. That's what people used to say. Or if they were a Democrat, we say, hey, are you a Democrat? And I say, yeah, I'm a Democrat. They go, oh, good, I'm a Democrat too. Uh, it's very nice to meet you. Today, in this era, people say, are you Republican or Democrat? And if I'm talking to a Democrat, the Democrat will say, oh my God, thank God you're a Democrat because if you were a Republican, I can speak to you. They're so stupid. They, you know, this Donald Trump makes me say that, that's the attitude. Or if they're a Republican, They'll go, you're a Democrat? <sighs> why, why would you want to waste your time being a Democrat? You just want to, you care about social, what do you call it, socialism and giving away everything? That's not what politics is about, right? And at times, I wish we could get rid of political parties and you could 
run based on who you are, right? Because nobody's ever all Democrat or all Republican. It's actually shades of gray sometimes in terms of who you are and what your opinions are. But you get boxed and pigeonholed into either Democrat or Republican. And there's no need to be a third party candidate because you have no shot at winning. So in today's political climate, it's been very rough. It's been very stressful. And I'm not sure how long it can last under the current administration. But what I will tell you is for the good of this country in its entirety, something has to change and it has to change fast. You know, this being the Process Podcast, and we talk about uh, overcoming and achieving because something sometimes you go through a lot of adversity. Um, my question is, what is your biggest failure and what did you learn from it? Oh man, I'm glad you asked that question because when it comes to when it comes to failures, <laughs> I'm one of the people who can tell you that if you show me a person who tells you that they've never failed, I'm going to point to you and show you that same person who's never been successful. Almost everything that I've done in this life, I have failed at in order to get to where I'm at today. And I have no fear of failure. And because other people fear failing, which is that false evidence appearing real, it has allowed me to be successful in ways that they would not have been successful. Because most of us are successful because of the other people who decided not to take the challenge, right? So for me, the first big failure I would say I had was um, just when I was in high school, the first time I quit anything was I quit I quit football because I got into an altercation or an issue with a guy who uh, we were dispute in a dispute about my helmet, a helmet that I let him borrow and he decided he was going to take it. And I, I quit. I didn't go back. And I heard my dad and my cousin talking about me while they thought I was asleep. And I, I decided I, I just could not finish my like that. So I went back and played football. And because of that, I, w- I ended up being a starter. Um, I failed at trying to get into college, right? Um, there were many classes, not many classes. I did very well at FAMU. I was on the dean's list almost every semester. But I applied to many colleges who, who didn't accept me. And I failed and I failed and I failed. And eventually somebody, uh, some institution called Florida a University, decided to take a chance on me. And if they did not take that chance to accept me provisionally, I wouldn't be where I'm at today because some of these things that I've done require a, a uh, degree. When I graduated from FAM and I went to FSU, there were nights where I studied all night and I was afraid that I was going to fail. And I would study from 8 o'clock at night to 3 o'clock in the morning or one time I, I did a project, that, literally, I did a project, I was working on that project from six o'clock one night to 3.30 that afternoon when the paper had to go in. And when I turned it in, the next day, the teacher gave me the grade and it was like a D. Uh, you can't get Ds in grad school. So that was hard, but I, I passed that class. One of the biggest upsets I say I had is at the city of West Palm Beach. Uh, it wasn't necessarily a failure, but I did get laid off. Barack Obama became president on a Tuesday. I studied for the AICP exam, which is a certification for urban planners. Uh, I took the exam on a Thursday. I returned to work on Friday. Now, I failed the exam, which is a $500 exam, by the way. Failed the exam, went to work on Friday, and then at 4.30, 
when I was trying to log back into my computer, uh, I couldn't log back in. <laughs> Ended up getting laid off from the city of West Palm Beach. So that was a hard week. The president was elected, the black, the first black president, Barack Obama was elected on a Tuesday. I failed the AICP exam on a Thursday. I got laid off on a Friday. But because of that, I was able to rebound. Because of that, because God had to remove something out of my hands, right? So he could open up my hands to catch what was really supposed to come to me. He removed me from my planning position so that I could ultimately accept my position as a Florida senator or a state legislator when I first got elected as a state representative. Had I stayed in that job as a planner for the city of West Palm Beach, I would probably be there today, complacent, happy to be making a little bit of money I, I was making there and just, of course, still wanting to move forward, but God had a greater plan. So that was another failure in my life that eventually turned to success. I applied to leadership Palm Beach County and I was denied provisionally. And ultimately at the end, I was sent an, an acceptance letter I don't know if they would they had they had a quota system and they didn't have enough black people and they decided to accept me but I think that failure that fear of failure has stopped a lot of other people from allowing them to get to places where because I'm not afraid of failing because I know what the feeling is like I've been able to get there I mean I got cut from the track team I I don't talk about that much but the first year I went to the to run track coach Robinson called me into his office and he said hey um, I want to thank you for trying out, but you're more than welcome to come to the track anytime you like, except for between the hours of three and five, because that's when the team would be on the track. I was shocked. I said, I'm an all-state, all-conference track and field athlete. You don't just cut me. But hey, that's what happened. And when I talk about that fear of failure, there was a young man who was a sitting city council member in one of the cities that I represented as a state rep, and he expressed his interest in running for the state rep seat. However, his obstacle was that I was also running, and I told him that we should both run. But his fear of failure, his fear of giving up something he had, prevented him from running for the state rep seat, which he may have been the state rep if he ran, he may have beat me. But because he didn't, because of his fear, I was able to capitalize on that and be for sure elected as a state representative. So I've had many, many failures in life and I'll tell you that that's not it, there's more to come, but it's not how many times you fall, it's being able to get back up. It's not worrying about who's looking at you when you fail because nobody's perception of you has to be your reality. You have to indeed look at yourself in the mirror and wonder and push yourself to be the best you that you can be. Nobody determines how good you can be except for you. And if you've determined that you can or you determine that you can't, guess what? You're right. I totally agree. Um, through, through all your obstacles, you know, ups and downs. Um, what how did you get through? Like what 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 did you learn like in, in the grand scheme of things from from your failures? What I've learned from my failures is that it's a part of life. Uh, God didn't put anybody up here to be concerned with not being successful. There's a speech that's done by the founder of Apple, Steve Jobs, and he talks about it best. He says that life's greatest creation is death. 
Why? Because it creates a constant renewing. Everybody who is put on this earth is born to die. And if you live a life of fear, what are you what are you afraid of? You're going to die one day anyways. And if you die without accomplishing the things that God set for you to do, then you've ultimately not been successful. So I really, I really have no worries or fears because I realize that you're supposed to fail at something. Nobody's perfect at everything. And failure allows you to realize what you can be good at. You may learn to like something because you tried it and you failed. You may become and discover things that you are good at because you were able to try and fail. If you if you don't try and fail, you will never meet the level of success you're supposed to meet. Venus and Serena, when they started playing tennis, it couldn't have been easy. Couldn't have been, they couldn't have told them that you guys, you girls are black girls and y'all are gonna be great at tennis because they didn't fit what is the prototype. Right? As a pole vaulter at FAMU, I didn't fit the prototype. I was a black kid who was kind of muscled up, muscular, who didn't look like a pole vaulter because a pole vaulter would be supposed to be white, tall, and skinny. I remember walking onto the pit at, uh, I think it was Prince George County, where we were doing an indoor track meet. And one of the guys who was pole vaulting looked at me and said, hey, man, you know, uh, the shot put a discus in the car over there. I was 190 pounds, solid. And I was ripped up at the time. And he was like, nah, you ain't no pole vaulter, bro. You don't look like you. You look like you throw the shot for this. But that's what you've been conditioned to see is what people say you're built for. That's not right. But black people don't do that. And when you do that, you're afraid because somebody else has determined that, oh, you're not supposed to do that. You don't meet your success because you're worried about other people who said you're supposed to. So that failure, the lessons that I've learned from failure ultimately is that you're put on the earth to fail. Period. Because you fail your way to success. If you don't fail, you're going to live a life where you die and you never experience anything. So Senator Powell, we all have oh. fingerprints. We all have fingerprints, uh, which in the, which identify all of us as different. What wires you to get up every morning and do the job that you do? It's easy. Every morning I realize, <laughs> you know, ET says it best. Every morning there's a lion and a gazelle that wake up running. And you could be either the lion or gazelle, but you better wake up running because that lion is running because he's got to eat. That gazelle is running because he don't want to be food. And I wake up every morning running because I know there's somebody else out there that wants to be me or wants to be in this position. But because they won't do the things that I do, they won't be in this position. They won't work as hard as I work. They won't be in this position. But the minute I decide to slack, my competition will jump on top of me. I, I, I wake up every morning working as hard as I do is because um, not only are people that I'm looking at competing with me, I realize that there's people in other countries that are working just as hard to get in the position that we're in today. India, China, 
I mean, even in India right now, uh, people are waking up and they're teaching them American accents. If you are asleep at the wheel, you won't have your position. And I realized that it's incumbent upon me to show that work ethic so that when somebody else who looks like me sees me, he or she will be motivated to work just as hard to be in the same position or better than I am. Don't, uh, my, 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 I guess he's one of my favorite rappers. I don't listen to rap that much, but T.I. T.I. says, don't be like me, be better than me. And, and that's what I want uh, people to take from me. Don't, don't be like me, be better than me. But at the same time, realize that as you are becoming better than me, I'm not gonna slow down. I'm gonna keep working hard. So you gotta catch me to be better. Through your journey, you know, Riviera Beach, fam, you, um, from being in politics, what, from 2012 to now, um, what does trust in the process mean to you? What trust in the process means to me is that God has a plan for all of our lives, right? And you you may look at it as um, the parable where he talks about giving the guys uh, three talents or giving them talents. And one he gave talents to, the one buried his talents. And the other one he gave talents to, he he. He didn't want to squander it. He put him in the ground. And the one multiplied his talent by one. And then the other one uh, multiplied his talents, uh, I think, three or fivefold or tenfold. And when we say trust the process, this life that we live is not our own. Uh, there's going to be ups and downs. There's going to be hills and valleys. We are connected to our forefathers and our foremothers the people who came before us, and it's incumbent upon us to gather and seek the knowledge from them to transport that into the future. It's also incumbent upon us to deliver that future to the ones who will come behind us. So when you talk about and you think about the idea of trusting the process, is one, you also trust in God, but two, you trust in those people you've put in your life to lead you. I've talked about it already. We're going to have successes, but amongst those successes, in order to get there, there's going to be failures. Never being discouraged by the amount of failure that you have. Never thinking that um, something that happens that deals with money is a real problem. When you tell me you've got a problem and it can be solved with money, you don't really have a problem. Because somebody woke up this morning and they couldn't walk. Somebody woke up this morning and they had cancer or some disease and they know they've got a limited time left on this earth and they may have felt like they didn't do all the things that they wanted to do. So when you say trust the process, the process is for us to transfer and transform our future, which is not us, but our children and our children's children images by being the best us that we can be today. Nobody was put on this earth to live forever. And because of that, we have to go through trials and tribulations. Any man born of a woman will have trials and tribulations on this earth. Realize that, recognize that, and move forward. Because something bad happened to a person is not the worst thing in the world. It's a part of life. It's a part of the process. There's going to be good things that happen and bad things that happen. But it's incumbent upon us, based on our attitudes and our perceptions, to make sure that the good things outweigh the bad things. And that will take us well into the future and will allow our spirits to rest well when our work on this earth is done. So, Senator Power, 
do you have any lasting words that you want to leave with the listeners? Always, always. For me, what I'll tell anybody who listens to me is their fourth steps to success. And if you follow these steps, there's no way you can't be successful. And most people who I know by some way or some form are implementing these steps, even if they do them in a different, um, if they say them in a different way, it's, it's just the natural process. Number one, you have to make a decision. By making a decision, you've determined that you will be successful and you will accomplish things that you've determined to accomplish. So number one is to make a decision. Number two, number two, you have to develop a plan in writing, whether it be goals, but generally whatever you put in writing is a message to the universe, is a message to God. And because you see it and you wrote it out and that it's there in print, it's bound to happen some way, shape or form. So you put it in writing. Number three, you find a person who's selfless as opposed to selfish who will help you to get there. I don't care if it's a life coach, a mentor, a friend who's going to put you first. And sometimes we do run into people who seem like they're selfless. But once you get to their level, they will have to drop you because they don't want to see you become where they're at. That's okay. That's okay. We talked about process. The process is you have to get there. And once you get there, God will put somebody else in your life to take you the rest of the way. And the fourth step is you have to go. You cannot accept no for an answer. You can't be afraid because if you're afraid, you won't get what's supposed to come to you. And uh, Les Brown always says that when you fall, try to land on your back because if you can look up, you can get up. So you have to go. So number one, make a decision. Number two, a written plan. Number three, a person who is selfless as opposed to selfish to help you get there. And number four, the hardest part, but the most necessary part is you have to go. Those four steps, if anybody puts those into play, who is listening to this podcast, he or she will meet their their most successful self by doing those simple things. Thank you. Thank you for that. I received that. Um, right now as i'm going through my process um where could the listeners find you if they want to connect and what the senator power have coming in the future well it's easy for the senator uh, it's easy for anybody who's listening to find me i am on instagram at senator powell which is not my whole name but senator s-e-n-a-t-o-r-p-o-w at instagram or at Senator Powell, however you do it. You can find me on Facebook, um, also on LinkedIn, but I'm also working on a few different projects. Right now, I'm on page 194 of my book, which is called Moments for Life, which uh, I have written out several moments that have been important to me that have defined and helped develop who I am. It's a good reflection that will help anybody who's going through struggles in life to get to the next level without being bogged down by the struggles. And we're continuing to work. I myself am also doing, I'm on, I wouldn't say a speaker's tour, but I've got several upcoming engagements here in Palm Beach County where I'll be speaking to, or Palm Beach State College, I'll be speaking for September 11th, or we call it Patriots Day. I'll be giving the keynote there uh, the third month or third week in October. I'll be at Greater Bethel Missionary Baptist Church in Riviera Beach delivering a message to our seniors. I've got a texting while driving town hall here in the city of West Palm Beach as well. So I'm all over the place. If people are watching my Facebook, my Instagram, 
they'll be able to see me. My schedule will be posted pretty soon. And also there's the opportunity for people to hit me up uh, via email. My email address, is, if you want to meet, reach me at the Senate is Powell, P-O-W-E-L-L dot Bobby at flsenate.gov. And what I can tell anyone is this life we choose is not for us. It's not our own. So as we push forward and we make it our own and we make it for other people, remember that when you get what you want in your struggle with life and the world makes you king for a day, go to the mirror and look at yourself and see what that guy or girl has to say. Gentlemen, I want to thank you for this opportunity for allowing me to be on your podcast tonight. I've thoroughly enjoyed the conversation. I'm looking forward to both of you, both of you doing great things. Uh, Amante, of course, I met you at Palm Beach, not Palm Beach, at FAMU when I was there. I think I was either, I think it was my first year being elected or I still may, I may have just been in the works of running for office without many people knowing. I may have been an aide at the time, but um, I just remember what you were doing as a student in your studies and being recognized. I think it was at the FAMU National Alumni Regional Conference. Uh, and it was just amazing to see a young person doing the things that you were doing back then and to continue to see you as a trendsetter is just amazing. Gentlemen, keep up the hard work. I'm, I'm super proud of you and look, looking forward to having the opportunity to break bread with you both in the future. This concludes episode 34 of The Process. Be sure to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook and to like us on either SoundCloud, iTunes, or Spotify. Thank you. They're chanting, trust the process. Trust the process. Trust the process. I think the main thing for me was trying to decide on who am I and like what I want to be and how I want to be remembered. Like that was my thing. You know, oftentimes I think about like my legacy and like the mark that I want to leave, not only on the industry, but the effect that I want to leave on people. Being a whole human being, going through my obstacles, going through the things that I'm going through, and not to only broadcast these things, but for it to inspire change.